You're listening to the DCC Sermon Podcast. For more information on Dayton Christian Center, you can visit dcctx.church. Now let's join in for this week's message. It's an honor to be here. I'm thankful to be here. Uh, Tonight, the, the title of my message is Even If He Doesn't. And that is a phrase that I have dealt with a lot this year. Um, I believe most of you know, um, early September, me and my wife, we both had COVID. Not a problem. We're not scared of it. Um, I got over it in about three days. Uh, Not a big deal. However, Hannah being uh, 28 weeks pregnant at the time, she wasn't able to recover as quickly. Oh, man, Taylor, did you preach here last? Because I just feel like I'm about to cry. (laughs) Oh, Sorry, give me a second. It just lingers here. Um, So Hannah didn't recover as quickly. Um, She was down for a few more days than I was before we took her to the ER. And when they did the the x-ray on her, they said it looked like somebody had thrown a can of white paint across her lungs. That's how much pneumonia she had. Um, so we, uh, we did what we had to do. Um, of course they can't transfer you anywhere. There's no hospital beds available anywhere. So we just, we took ourselves there ourselves and we went to the front door and said, we're here, take us in, uh, made some calls and thank Jesus they got us in. Um, so Hannah was in the hospital for 20 days, uh, severe COVID pneumonia, both lungs, At the same time she was there, Hannah's 29 years old. She was 28 weeks pregnant when we went in. There was another girl who was 29 years old, 28 weeks pregnant. She did not survive. And they had to take her baby from her. Her baby, last we know, made it, but she didn't. So that was a scary time for us. I remember texting Jack and just asking him to pray for me because I had never been so afraid in my life. But I prayed and I prayed and I prayed And I continued to tell God, you know, through my prayer, God, even if you don't, you're still good. You are still good. But to be honest, that phrase felt like a back door for me. The same way that people pray, God, if it be your will, it felt like a back door of, It gave him an out. It's okay if you don't. I'll still trust you. You're good. And I didn't like the way that that felt. So I wanted to search and I wanted to understand that phrase better. I wanted to know what it meant when God moved and what it meant when God didn't move and what my response should be in both of those scenarios. So that's what we're going to be looking at tonight. I want to start in Daniel chapter 3. Verse one, and we're going to kind of skip around. Ivy questioned me why I skipped so many verses. I have a lot to read, so I kind of just cut out the pieces that weren't crucial. So starting in verse one, we're going to talk about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And can we, I'm sorry, that's a Wednesday situation. It's Abednego, like Wednesday. Who spelled these? And how did we decide that's how it's pronounced? It bothered me the entire, every time I had to write it down, it bothered me. Verse 1 says, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide and set upon it and set it upon the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. I'm going to skip to verse 4. 
Then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. We're going to skip to verse 8. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold, and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image that I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. Can we all just agree that we don't have to defend ourselves in some of these matters that are going on? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves against you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God that we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Now, if that doesn't get you fired up, I don't know what will. No pun intended. I planned that line two months ago. It was intended. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm a goober. Verse 19, then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace to be heated seven times harder than usual. Now, that is where I disagree with Nebuchadnezzar. If you're going to do it right, seven times harder to me says seven times faster. I say we crank that heat down a little bit halfway and let's slow roast those suckers and prove a point. But that's just me, and maybe that's why I'm not king. Verse 20. And he commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace was so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound, unharmed, and the fourth 
looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the most high God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. God used them to make a point to Nebuchadnezzar. Not defending themselves, just standing firmly in their faith, God proved a point to that king. Going down to verse 28, then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any God except their own God. Therefore, I decree that people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble for no other God can save in this way. That man's life was turned around instantly by somebody standing firm in their faith. See, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego realized something. It was never about their own lives. They weren't afraid to die. They had faith in God regardless of the outcome. They said, if he saves me, he saves me. If he doesn't, you still gonna learn today. Because it's not how the outcome of a situation affects my life, but it's how it affects the kingdom. That's what we stand for. The second instance I wanna look at is gonna be in Matthew chapter 26. It's gonna be Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Chapter 26, verse 36. I'm sorry, let me drink some water. Jesus is in the garden. He knows what's coming. It says, then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. In other words, Dad, I'm really scared about this and I don't wanna do this. If you can take it from me, please do. Verse 42, he went away a second time and prayed, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were so heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing, God, I don't wanna do this. If there's any other way, please let me go that way. But if there's no other way, I know that you have a plan. I trust that you see the bigger picture. Even if I don't wanna do this, even if you can't intervene right now, I still know that your plan is better than mine. 
At this point, the soldiers came to take Jesus and Peter draws his sword, cuts the, the soldier's ear off. Verse 52, Jesus says, put your sword back in its place. Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father? And he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? Jesus saw the big picture and he knew that God had a plan. We may not understand it or like it, but we've got to trust God and know that he sees the bigger picture when we don't. The disciples themselves, they didn't live luxurious lives. They didn't go to work, make their paychecks, come home and buy nice toys. They were beaten, prosecuted, cursed, killed. But again, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it's not about their lives. It's about the kingdom and how the kingdom is affected. So we may go through trials and we may face persecution, but that doesn't change that we have a job to do while we're here. James chapter one, verse two says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Going down to verse 12, it said, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. So the question is, what if he doesn't? Or why aren't you seeing God move in your life when you think he should? My first point, I have three points. The first point is he already has. And this one rocked me. I've been, I've been trying to figure that one out for a couple months now, and, and God hit me hard with it yesterday. See, it started with, you know, everything that he's blessed me with. He created me. He gave us the earth. He gave us dominion over everything. I mean, what more does he owe us? He's given us life. Isn't he good enough? If he doesn't do anything else, that's enough for me. And that's how I've always used that phrase. He's enough. He's, he, he's already done enough. Me and Jack wrote a song. If the blessing never comes, what you've already done is enough. But what hit me yesterday is he already has. He sent Jesus to die for our sins. He sent Holy Spirit to empower us. And he gave us his word in the Bible. If I'm saved by grace, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and I have the word as my binding contract, what in this world can come against me? Why would I come to God on the daily and say, God, can you please heal me? He's going, oh, I, I gave you that power. I don't know what you need me for. He empowered us with that. He already has empowered us to take care of those situations. Everything else is extra by his grace and his mercy. I'm not saying he's not gonna move for you. He absolutely will, but it's not because he owes you. It's by his grace and his mercy. David, what do you say, grace? Grace takes you to get what you don't deserve and mercy keeps you from getting what you do deserve. So what do we deserve? Romans chapter six, verse 23 says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We're born into sin. It comes so natural to us, 
bound for destruction from the moment we're born. But God sent Jesus to die for our sins, and he gave us the gift of eternal life through his grace and his mercy. Not because it was a debt he owed, it's us who owes God everything. Romans chapter nine, verse 14 says, what then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not therefore depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. It's not how hard you work for it. It's not about what you do for the kingdom that earns you his mercy that comes freely from him. The second point I have for you is he hasn't yet. And I wanna go to Daniel chapter 10. So Daniel has this big vision and it terrifies him. He's scared, doesn't know what it means. He's, he's looking for what it means. He's asking God what it means. Verse eight says, so I was left alone gazing at this great vision. I had no strength left. My face turned deathly pale and I was helpless. Then I heard him speaking, him, he's referring to an angel. And as I listened to him, I fell into a deep sleep, my face to the ground. A hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. He said, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed, consider carefully the words I'm about to speak to you and stand up, for I have now been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up trembling. Then he continued, do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before God, your words were heard and I have come in response to them. From the first day, the first time Daniel asked, God sent the answer. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future for the vision concerns a time yet to come. In other words, I'm finally here with your answer. Now I want you to know that for those 21 days that that angel was on his way with his answer, Daniel was praying. He was fasting. He was performing spiritual warfare the hardest he could. He never gave up looking for his answer even though it didn't come on the first day. And that is why we have to pray daily. God's timing is not our timing. Though we might ask for something now, it may not come till later, but it is our duty to continue to pray and seek and pray and seek and empower that spiritual warfare for our favor. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 says, Rejoice always, pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. The third point I have for you is his ways are not your ways. And you have to evaluate what you're asking for. Do your desires line up with God's will for you? Isaiah chapter 55, verse eight says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And I just want to encourage you that coming up in January, we have our corporate fast. And I, me and Hannah have had some of the 
biggest breakthroughs, revelations, answers answered in the month of January when we do our corporate fast together. I want to read you a story. It's, it's not a story, a quote. Most everybody here know who's, knows who Tony Evans is. He's a famous pastor. His wife died from cancer. And his son spoke at her funeral, and he said that he really wrestled with that. You know, he, he told God, my family has, they haven't healed people from cancer, but they have seen cancer cast out of people's bodies. They've seen bodies healed. They've seen miraculous things, and they prayed for her, and they prayed for her no matter all of the great things that that family did. She was not healed of cancer, and she died. And in his praying, this is what Tony Evans' son said God said to him. And as I was wrestling with God, he answered, and he said, number one, you don't understand the nature of my victory. Just because I didn't answer your prayer the way that you wanted me to doesn't mean that I haven't already answered your prayer anyway. Because the victory was already given to your mom. You just don't understand because of the victories that I've given you, meaning they look different. There was always only two answers to your prayers. And I want you to pay attention to this. This is really cool. He said either she was going to be healed or she was going to be healed. Either she was going to live or she was going to live. Either she was going to be with family or she was going to be with family. Either she was going to be well taken care of or she was going to be well taken care of. Victory belongs to me because of what I've already done for you. The two answers to your prayers are yes and yes because victory belongs to Jesus. Because of what Jesus has already done for us, victory is already ours. Through Jesus dying for our sins and giving us an eternity with our Father in heaven, victory is ours no matter what. That's why it's not about how it affects our life here, but it's how it affects our life there. So what shall we say in response? And I want to end this on Romans chapter 8, and that's actually in the NIV Bible, that's actually the title of this section was, What Shall We Say in Response? And I thought it was perfect. It says, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those who God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I want to tell you one more story one my dad told me 
correct me if I'm wrong. They were, uh, I wasn't born yet. My sister, she's four years older than me. I don't know what she was, about three years old, maybe. They were walking into the grocery store. Dad was holding her hand as they were walking across the parking lot. She slipped and she fell. She scraped her knees up, got all bloody. Now, did that make him a bad father? You could look at that and say, you were right. She was right there with you. You were holding her hand. How did you let her fall? But he didn't let her fall. She tripped over her own feet. She's a baby. Aren't we all just babies bumbling around? We trip over our own feet sometimes. That's part of being human. Does that make God a bad God? We can be right there in his presence. We can be holding his hand, walking along, and we can trip and fall. It happens. But does that make him a bad God? No. But was my dad right there to pick her up, clean her off, tell her it's gonna be okay, teach her how to walk, put her on the right path? Doesn't God do that for us? For anybody out there, I, I don't know, I just feel like, I just wanna say God has not forgotten you. He hasn't left you. He's not ignoring you. He's not mad at you. He's not punishing you. Start with just evaluating yourself. Get yourself in, in the right alignment. Nick, if you didn't listen to his Bible basics, go back and listen to that. He preaches on hearing from God. If you feel disconnected, again, I'm gonna say join in with us on our fast. I, that, that community fast that we do, I mean, it, we've seen some of the biggest breakthroughs that we've ever had in our life. But I just want to say that God hasn't, he hasn't left you. He's still right there. Even if you fell and tripped, stumbled, he's still there. Father God, we just, we praise your holy name tonight, God. You are so worthy. You're worthy for what you do. God, you're worthy even when we don't think you're moving. God, we know that you're always, you're always moving, that you work for our good, that you work in our favor, and we praise you for that. God, I pray that you bless these people as they leave tonight, Father. God, send them with peace in Jesus' name. We are so glad that you chose to tune in with us this week. We hope that today's message left you challenged, encouraged, and inspired. If you enjoyed today's message and would like to hear more, you can find us wherever it is that you listen to your podcasts as well as on YouTube. Thanks again for listening to the DCC Sermon Podcast.